This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. The newly elected Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, started off very well by extending the hand of friendship to India. But unfortunately, the BJP-led government in, in New Delhi did not reciprocate thanks to the election season in India. We've just had the Assembly elections and next year we will have the parliamentary elections. And, and in these circumstances, the BJP government finds it very difficult to have a conversation with Pakistan on any of the outstanding issues. And yet, in the recent past, the Pakistani Prime Minister again offered to open the Kartarpur corridor um, between India and Pakistan. And the foundation stone has been laid uh, because the government of India thought it was a good CBM between the two sides. But despite the Kartarpur confidence building measure, uh, we have had not much of an improvement between the two sides. Just the other day, Imran Khan complained to the uh, United Nations about the human rights violations that are happening in Jammu and Kashmir. Um, so, why is Imran Khan playing hot and cold with India? And is Mr. Imran Khan's peace offer with India a serious and sincere one? To discuss these very important questions between India and Pakistan, I have with me in the studio uh, Dr. Moid Yusuf. Uh, Dr. Yusuf is uh, currently the Associate Vice President of the Asia Center at the United, United States Institute of Peace, Washington, D.C. Uh, he's a well-known Pakistani author and a columnist. Uh, his recent book entitled uh, Brokering Peace in Nuclear Environments is a must-read for anyone focusing on India and Pakistan and want to understand how um, crisis mitigation can take place between India and Pakistan should actually uh, read this. Welcome to the National Security Conversation, Thank Mo you. Moed Yusuf. Thank you. Moid, let me begin by asking this question about the sincerity of the uh, offer by Mr. Imran Khan. How sincere is Imran's offer for peace? Um, what is the rationale behind uh, what I think is a rather ill-timed peace offer uh, from the Pakistani side? Pakistan knows that India is going through the election cycle and yet not once, not twice, several times in the last several months, uh, Imran Khan has made this offer. What is the rationale behind this? So, um, you know, honestly, I don't read minds, so I'm not sure uh, the sincerity part is, is, you know, we will find out the proof is in the pudding. The, the real issue here um, is that Pakistan's focus is consumed right now, one, by the western border, and for the first time, a glimmer of hope that Afghanistan may be moving towards a political settlement that Pakistan has been advocating. Uh, and secondly, the economy. You've got a new government that's come in, come in uh, dealing with an economic crisis that, quite frankly, I think is uh, more difficult to handle than they thought it was. And then you have a prime minister who everybody is asking on what his foreign policy is going to be like. And remember, Imran Khan is the person who took a fairly hawkish stance on the US, on the region, when he was an opposition politician because he was very populist in his rhetoric. And I think he wanted to signal very clearly that Prime Minister Imran Khan 
is going to be a different individual than the opposition leader Imran Khan that was on top of containers and, and you know, protesting for months on end. That's, I think, what, what is behind it. The, your question about ill-timed, I think the, you need to look at the other way as well. It would be uh, quite odd for Imran Khan not to say anything about India for the first seven months of his government. Because then he would be criticized for not having any position, you would have conversations about his week, etc. So he's taken the time that suits him as the new Pakistani Prime Minister to say, I have a position on India, which is that I want to mend fences. No, let's, let's not doubt his intent. But what I'm trying to get at is the spade work required for a um, sustained peace process between India and Pakistan. Why not uh, reach out to New Delhi through the back channel? Uh, why not have some discreet conversations with New Delhi and sort of try and gauge the temperature here? Uh, happy, I think, because the view in Pakistan, right or wrong, the view in Pakistan is that Delhi is deliberately keeping Pakistan out uh, and explicitly, you know, the isolation idea and all of that. Um, and so in that space, I don't know what's happening on the back channel. I, by the way, am a bit proponent of the back channel. I think where these things have to start are behind closed doors. If I were making policy, I would argue that between now and May, both sides need to open up some channels through which they do only one thing. Prepare the ground for what the relationship needs to do once May is over. Right. Uh, also keep in mind that I think we don't, from my perspective, we shouldn't get too hung up on May. Look, because we don't know what's going to happen in May. I mean, I'm hearing from friends in India now after these recent election results, state results, the, the field has opened up. What if after May there is a result where people say, well, actually, this is not going to work unless this happens or that happens. My point being, you know, we are, uh, we've been 100% successful, unfortunately, uh, as a pair at missing, pol uh, missing opportunities. Anytime an opportunity comes, some election, some problem, something is going to happen. I think we need to grasp the opportunity we have, uh, work through the back channel, figure out where to go, and as soon as May occurs, move forward. Because I, I will tell you, this conversation of India-Pakistan being at loggerheads, quite frankly, I sit in Washington happy and I have to tell you, the world is sick and tired of it. Uh, you know, the world is interested in finding ways to get away from this problem. Now, one may feel it's good, and the other may feel it's bad. The reality is the world is not going to wait for South Asia to, to gel and integrate. Exactly. The world is tired of this, of, this, of this talk about Kashmir, of this talk about terrorism to a lesser extent. And yet Pakistan keeps talking about Kashmir. What is, what is the source of this fixation with Kashmir? Uh, if, if conflict resolution in Kashmir is the objective, then is making loud noises about, about Kashmir, complaining to the United Nations, is that the way to go at all? I actually don't agree with that. I actually think if you look at the um, evidence from Pakistan in terms of surveys of youth, of the general uh, population, if you look at how many times Kashmir was mentioned in the political campaign of the mainstream parties this time... Or no, I'm talking 20... about the Prime Minister himself making these no, statements no, no, about what Kashmir. I'm saying is the potency is not like the 90s. It is not that there is an obsession and everybody only wants to talk about it. In fact, there's a lot of space, right? Uh, the issue of talking about the UN and whatever, look, these are real estates. They're not going to give up one thing and work on another thing. These things are going to work in parallel. My worry at this point is that the people in Pakistan who are naysayers on India are getting more space 
because there's no conversation. So Pakistan's, I mean, I haven't talked to him, of course, but the Prime Minister may have a view that says, nobody is talking, we are trying to talk, there is no response, then okay, we will go and raise this issue because India has handed this over in a platter given what is happening in, in Kashmir right now. So don't get me wrong, I don't think Kashmir has disappeared from the map in terms of the Pakistani thinking. The issue right now is that Pakistan is consumed by other things, which creates an opportunity to have a real conversation on how to move forward with India and Pakistan. What worries, what depresses me quite frankly, is that I pick up from, from friends and colleagues in India, this view that we don't need Pakistan anymore. We are moving ahead, economy is growing, differential is growing, in 10-15 years, who cares about Pakistan, right? I think that's a very dangerous thought because whatever India and Pakistan can do together is going to be better than what we can do separately. Data is in unequivocal on this. South Asia together is going to deliver more in terms of working together than if both are at loggerheads as we are today. The other thing is quite frankly from India's perspective I want to ask you this question. I haven't really understood this. By keeping a policy of isolation, actually uh, the Indian policy has forced China and Pakistan's hand to come together even closer. So if the worry was that, you know, this is happening against India, whatever, I don't quite understand the logic of how it helps uh, forcing the two to come even, you know, closer together on this issue of CPEC. But I think the logic is simple, that if you can't together resolve conflicts, outstanding conflicts like Kashmir, then let's not talk to each other. Let's not have anything to do with each other. Let's sort of lay off each other. So let me just say this much, uh, and this will be a provocative comment. I, I'm, you, you've known me for a while. I, I'm an analyst, not a uh, nationalist on either side or whatever. I think India, the, the narrative issue for the first time in years is on Pakistan's side, not on India's side. Why do you say that? Post-Mumbai, diploma, India's real victory was diplomatic. Right? I mean, the world wasn't willing to listen to Pakistan. Pakistan kept crying bloody murder, but the world said, no, you're wrong and there's somebody who's right. Now, Pakistan is going around and having this conversation saying, we can talk connectivity, we can talk um, integration, we can talk Kashmir, we can talk terrorism. Somebody's got to talk, right? Even to the point where on Afghanistan, which is a key issue for the US right now, the US wants India and Pakistan to find a way of coexisting in Afghanistan that is not proxy warfare, that is not violent, right? How do you get there without a conversation? But there is no appetite in Pakistan for an India-Pakistan conversation on Afghanistan. Pakistan wants to talk to India on Kashmir or on other things, but not on, not on Afghanistan. So, the message from Pakistan to India on Afghanistan is very clear, lay off. I don't speak uh, confidently on this because I don't know what the internal thinking is. But I bet you where Pakistan is right now and the conversations that I uh, have um, heard in terms of the system, I think Pakistan will be willing to talk about everything and anything right now. And I'll tell you why. The reason for that is that Pakistan feels <clears throat> that ultimately the differential that's growing between India and Pakistan, even that the resolution of that from Pakistan's perspective remains in working together. Now, you could ask me then why should India do it? And I've explained the reason to you. India and Pakistan together, working on issues, are far better off in terms of economy, GDP, growth, um, uh, you know, the ability to work in the world than separately. Simple example, India's 
um, uh, uh, NSG uh, waiver, right? India's UNSC conversation, seat conversation. International politics cannot move forward on those till this issue remains. And so, you know, I am one of those who is now convinced that if I were a Indian or a Pakistani nationalist, or if I were a peace builder, or if I were somebody who was just fed up of what is happening, the answer to all of it lies between India and Pakistan to talk and figure out some way of normalcy. I am not here to discuss, you know, how do you solve Kashmir, how do you solve terrorism, track one should do this. But without a conversation, you know, what has happened is that what should be normal procedure has become a concession and a reward. Right? One side feels that even talking is a concession. The other side feels that you are talking to me as if you are rewarding me for asking for something. In reality, negotiation, you teach and I teach negotiation. The first principle of negotiation is that the way to negotiate should not become a concession. The conversation should not become a concession. Let, let, let me pick this up a little later when I, when, I want, when I would like your answer on the Bajwa doctrine. But before that, you did make a very interesting point about the... Uh, lack of noise in Pakistan on India or on Kashmir, uh, to, to, to suggesting to some extent that uh, Kashmir is probably not a very emotional issue in Pakistan. Now, and yet the, the, uh, uh, the Prime Minister of Pakistan keeps talking about Kashmir again and again and again. Now, strengthening the suspicion in India that, hey, the Prime Minister of Pakistan is a handmaiden of the deep state in Pakistan. How do you sort of respond to that? So, first of all, I'll clarify this. Um, Kashmir is emotive and Kashmir is not off the radar. And when Kashmir is bubbling internally as it is today within India, it becomes more of an issue, naturally, right? Um, also, I don't agree with people who say that, oh, Kashmir is not an issue for Pakistan. It's definitely an issue. So, I don't think it's suspicion, it's reality. Pakistan is pushing the case, has pushed the case, and I don't see Pakistan not pushing the case. The difference here is that there is a conversation in parallel on how do we work together to get to that and many other things that earlier were not on the radar, right? So look at India-China. You're doing the same thing. You had a Doklam crisis. Mm -hmm. And what is the trade level? $80 billion, right? Why not you have a conversation that puts everything on the table? My Indian friends tell me, no composite dialogue. Okay, call it ABC. I don't have a problem. I'm not even saying make concessions or anything. What I'm saying is, find me a way to have any movement without talking. Don't call it a dialogue. I don't, I don't care. Call it whatever you want. But from the Pakistani side, I keep telling people there, you should also not come across as if you're desperate for a conversation on everything tomorrow. Right? Because then that again creates this problem, oh, it's a concession. So, I think, look, Happy, we, the two of us, can't decide for track once. But I am increasingly sitting in Washington feeling that ultimately the world is laughing. I agree. That's the reality of it. You know, in our world we can be kings and whatever, but, but that's the fundamental issue. You did say that it is important to begin a conversation, it is important to begin a process. I, I, I can't agree more. But look at it this way, Mr. Modi, one may or may not like Mr. Modi and his policies, but he did reach out to yeah. Pakistan. He yeah. did reach out to Pakistan, invited Nawaz Sharif for his swearing in yeah. 20, 2014. Yeah. 
he did go to Lahore um, and Pakistani um, officials are not too happy with the, with the way that panned yeah. out. That's a different matter. After the Patan court attack in 2016 January, um, he did invite the Pakistani investigation team, which included ISO officers, ISI officers to come to Patan court air base and, and carry out an investigation. The return visit has not taken place. Now, the argument in India is that, hey, Mr. Modi did reach out and yet the question of terrorism is not addressed enough. They did not even allow the Indian investigation team to go to Islamabad. So, the difference between the India-China equation and the India-Pakistan equation is simply this for the Indian for, for the Indians who make the argument that terrorism is not something that you are not taking care of. How do you answer that? Look, um, Prime Minister Modi did reach out. Absolutely. And the argument that he reached out and then changed his mind when things happened, okay. But could we also have another conversation? You said that uh, Prime Minister, he uh, went out of his way, invited Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif for his inauguration. In fact, the political cost was of Nawaz Sharif coming to the inauguration, right? So, one could do it both ways. I agree. It was a very unpopular decision. I agree. I remember being on television, being, you know, criticized for saying that he should go. But political costs are on both sides, right? And unfortunately, things have derailed on both sides. There's no debate about that. Let's put it this way, if you want to come at there. Why not discuss in the back channel how we will figure out a way that the next time something gets derailed, we can find out exactly how to manage that so that India's concerns are addressed, Pakistan's concerns are addressed, and the thing doesn't fall apart for the next five years. The problem is that we have these spurts in which three years go by and then something occurs, and then five days and then something else goes wrong. Think about the terrorist. If I am the terrorist today, right? Forget about groups that India is problematic, uh, worried about, and all of that. Let's take a neutral example. Let's say ISIS or Al Qaeda, right? Truly outside actors. If I know that I can bring India and Pakistan to a crisis, major crisis. That's my whole book. Mm -hmm. uh, by doing one major thing, look at the incentive I have to pull that off. What we are doing as India and Pakistan by not talking is being held hostage to this particular phenomenon, right? That's what worries But, but there are things that Pakistan do, can do in order to restrain those actors who are India-centric. Yeah. Uh, you have a Hafiz Saeed who is now mainstreamed into the Pakistani politics who um, through pro proxies for the last elections in Pakistan. Thankfully, he did not get many votes um, as was expected. So, there are things that can be done uh, to show evidence of the fact that Pakistan is serious in confronting these these very uh, organizations that are, that are wreaking havoc, not just in India, but also in Pakistan. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. They're wreaking havoc both in India and Pakistan. And what I will tell you is, um, Pakistan has moved from... Uh, in my view, the state where there was a policy, mm -hmm. 90s and all of that, tons has been written about it, to a state that is deeply worried about the consequences of actions that it may not be able to control. I think what India discounts, quite frankly, is the trauma that the Pakistani nation has gone through in terms of the 70,000 people that have been lost. That's a huge number. That's not a small number. This was elite, these were non-elite, this was everybody. And so when you talk about do more, there is not you, I mean generally the conversation, America is also sort of criticized in Pakistan for that. The reaction to that is, 
no way are we going there again right and so what we have to do is find a model of conversation look there's nobody in pakistan that i find inside the system and outside the system who doesn't agree that there is a problem that has to be dealt with nobody absolutely how question pakistan is hypersensitive and i think the world is you doesn't have the kind of sensitivity it should have there's no doubt that if you sit here you look at things and there's a logic to it right but i personally feel that the ability of the terrorist elements to operate goes up every time they can point to india and people can say they're not interested they can point to kashmir and say look what's happening Sim similarly on the indian side quite frankly if there are statements that are coming out of pakistan that are hawkish and that are pulling india down then of course your naysayers will get up and say the exact same thing the issue is this is not the solution neither side is gaining right now right the question i have to ask you is the billion and a half indians and pakistanis who's winning there that's my problem i'm a peace builder i you know i'm i work in a peace building institute i'm not going to defend you know this guy or that guy my problem is the billion and a half are stuck because we states are not having the conversation they need to have moid 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 uh, how can india persuade pakistan to take action on certain things let me come to the mumbai trials for example this we just commemorated the 10th anniversary of the mumbai trials the biggest tumbling block today between india and pakistan as far as a dialogue process is concerned of course there is kashmir but apart from kashmir there is the 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 lack of a conclusion as far as the mumbai trials are concerned uh, so what 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 does it take uh, india what can india do to persuade pakistan to sort of conclude that trial you know um, first of all this is absolutely correct that there is an issue in thinking about how to work pre and post crisis problems right we have no mechanisms we actually don't have mechanisms to do it in crisis that's why my whole book argues that the us and others come in and do the crisis bidding because we don't have bilateral issues when i talk to lawyers they tell me well there is this rule and that translation that hasn't come through the courts can't do it when i talk to um, strategists they would say what about samjhauta like the tit for tat so look my i'm not going to defend either wrong my my issue here is come to an agreement on how we are going to manage these things so that we don't get into a tit for tat mindset which holds everything back right um i not for a second will argue that there isn't a problem that needs to be fixed but i don't understand how not working on the problem is going to solve the problem right then i go back to that argument that people give me india feels it doesn't need it anymore right and there i fundamentally disagree i think then india settling for a good enough and pakistan is settling for a good enough it's not good for either one that's not enough yeah let's come to the uh, bhajwa doctor now you did say that the pakistani focus has now shifted the establishment's focus has now shifted to development economic coexistence um um the well-being of its people etc how does the bhajwa doctrine come in this you know a lot has been said about it i don't you know know the 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 individual dynamics of this on why the doctrine and there was controversy over whether it was authentic whatever here is what i will tell you on india 
he has a different view. The view is not because he uh, or the, the, the system loves India, has given up. No. It's a very simple it's a logic. It's a very simple logic. I am losing out on the differential. I am curbing my potential because of this issue. I can no longer fight a war because of nuclear weapons, nor can India. I need to find a way so that the region rises. And where the difference, I think, in the doctrine is, I think what I understand is that the doctrine says, I am convinced without the region, Pakistan can't rise. Now, that doesn't mean that Pakistan will give up on this or India will give up on this or whatever. But I, I honestly tell you, I don't know what the conclusion will be. I don't know whether it will last. But one thing an Indian journalist told me yesterday who went for this Kartarpur thing and they had a meeting with the Prime Minister of Pakistan. They said the Prime Minister said to them, give me a chance, don't fall to a conclusion. And I make the same argument on this doctrine. You can be skeptical, absolutely fine. How are you intending to find out about it without that conversation, right? Um, we are masters at missing opportunities. I said this earlier. I will honestly tell you, I am not sanguine about this after May business. After May will be June, something else will go wrong. And after June, there will be July and something else will I'll go I'll tell wrong. you why you should take the after May argument seriously. I do not think that uh, BJP has an uh, um, ideological opposition to a dialogue with Pakistan. It's, it's political uh, calculation and the political calculation is that if something goes wrong, if something goes wrong, if there is a Uri attack, if there is a Mumbai attack, six months into elections, it will be very difficult for BJP to, to go to the voters. Sure, I think but, that's the argument. But look, Happy, uh, the, the, the question I have is, uh, the narrative is a weak one because the way I internalize it as, okay, there needs to be something that has to happen. There needs to be something done. But this is not the time for it. Right? Okay, fine. Understood. Why not have a totally quiet conversation to prepare the grounds for post-May? Because see, May is going to come. We are going to start working on the groundwork then. And by September and October, something will go wrong. I agree, but it has to be a quiet, discreet conversation. In fact, that used to happen when you had the National Security Advisor, when India had the National Security Advisor. I told Advisor. you, I don't care, call it A, B, C, D. I'm only interested in the conversation. The NSA point also has come up during my trip. People have said Pakistan hasn't appointed an NSA. Look, NSA is not a constitutionally empowered position in Pakistan's case. Nor here. What I would suggest is the following. If it's going to be the Indian NSA, let's say from here, Go to the Pakistani system and say, appoint somebody who has the blessings and is empowered. And start the channel. Sheryar Khan, the former foreign secretary, Riaz Mohammed Khan, who were both appointed, Niaz Naik, who was appointed, none of the Pakistani back channel people, by the way, have been posted people, apart from the NSA for a little while. Other than that, they were all people who were retired and appointed or, you know, handpicked by the leadership. Let them do it. Whether it is done by... Uh, whether it is a retired or a, a serving or whatever, as long as it's the system, I don't think it matters.
Moid, does the possibility of another crisis between India and Pakistan bother your your book, your work has been on 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 crisis? Um, given the fact that uh, the relationship relationship between Pakistan and the United States is not fantastic these days, um, you may not accept United States as a broker, as an honest broker. India may not accept China as an honest broker. So, what is going to happen? In actually, on uh, page number seven. Um, you write the false expectation of supportive third party involvement was partly responsible for Pakistan's decision to instigate a crisis in Kargil. India's equally flawed assumption of receiving third party support in the 0102 standoff contributed to its brinkmanship marked by a full scale military mobilization. So, you're basically making the argument that the possibility of a third party coming in made these countries escalate to some extent. So, if there is no possibility of a third party coming, in this case, the United States may not appear as an honest broker to you, China may not appear as an honest broker to us, so the countries will be more careful. Is that a theoretical implication of what you are trying it's to say? It is actually more complicated than that, because on the one hand, you could make that argument. On the other hand, you could flip the argument to say, both sides may feel emboldened that the US and China are not going to back the other. Right? So, India may feel emboldened that the US-Pakistan relationship is broken and this time they have no opportunity, no option but to back India. Even in the surgical strikes, there was a change in tone in the private conversations that I have reported in the book slightly where India was really upset on why the US wasn't fully backing. Now with CPAC, Pakistan may feel that China is bound to back Pakistan completely. One of the reasons crises in the past the third parties have managed well is that US and China have worked together to find a way to de-escalate. Amidst a major trade war, amidst where US-China are, that possibility is now weaker. So, you may actually end up in a more complicated position where both India and Pakistan may simultaneously misinterpret the kind of support they may get from their quote-unquote patrons or whatever you want to call it, right? And so, I actually worry of a crisis become much, um, becoming much more complicated to manage. But I will also say um, to, to, to end this, I am surprised that we haven't ended up in a crisis already because we have given this space to whoever wants to derail this like nobody's business. So, let alone the outstanding conflicts, you are making the argument that conflict management is going to be tougher Absolutely. in the days to come. Absolutely. And also remember, there is the force posturing has changed. It's much more provocative on both sides since Mumbai. Modernization has happened, a triad, a cold start, a tactical weapon, whatever. So, this is going to get more complicated as we go on. So, if not for any other reason, just to make sure that crises do not escalate and a billion and a half uh, South Asians are not at the risk of annihilation, at least for that conversation, we should isolate it from the larger problems and talk about how to bilaterally manage crises. Mohit, here is my last question. You have been here in India for the last four to five days. What is the message you are going to take back to Pakistan? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I am, as a peace builder, depressed. And I'm depressed because I find that I don't find a burning desire to mend fences, right? It's no different on, on the other side. But I, I find people um, tired. I find people saying, look, we are going places. This is just not worth our time. That's not a good space to be as a peace builder who is looking for conflict resolution, right? Uh, and my, my argument to people is simply this. 
don't settle for good enough right. right and if india wants to go places and pakistan wants to go places you have to talk at the very least to avoid a crisis right of course the problem is talking is seen as a concession right and i'm not speaking for anybody here i say this as a pure academic negotiate on the substance not on the conversation right wait wonderful talk thank you very much thank you for listening to this podcast if you like this podcast please rate and follow us for regular updates you can also follow our twitter handle nsc with hj or our facebook page national security conversations with happy mon jacob